What's going on, everyone? Welcome into this week's edition of the Pelicans Podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm your host, Daniel Salerson, and we have a great roundtable discussion for you on this Friday. As many of you heard yesterday, the NBA is back. Still a lot of details to be settled on, but the most important thing is the Pelicans will have some basketball come late July and early August as they are one of 22 teams to, as of now, go back to Orlando, Florida. Still working on the set plans for that, but there'll be 22 teams battling for 16 playoff spots as it normally would. And we have a plethora of broadcasters on this podcast to kind of talk about all things Pelicans and what's going to go down in Orlando in two months. We'll start with, we have Joel Myers, television voice of the New Orleans Pelicans. We have Todd Graffini, the radio voice of your New Orleans Pelicans. Antonio Daniels, Fox Sports New Orleans Pelicans television analyst. John DeShazer, radio analyst for the New Orleans Pelicans. And Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com. Three of us have matching shirts. The other three didn't get the memo. And so we will start this audio podcast. Um, we'll start with Joel here because uh, we have questions for everyone. Kind of going to be around the horn type of feel here. But I want to get everyone's thoughts on different variations of what's going to go down in Orlando come July. And Joel, let's start with the format with the 22 teams because we heard a lot of reports about whether it's going to be 20 teams, whether they should go right into the playoffs. Do they bring back all 30 teams? Um, when they came down to it, picking the 22 teams, um, with a lot of them being in the Western Conference, what did you think of the 22-team format? Well, I, Daniel, overall, I think they did a very good job. And if you, on the cynical side, you could have said, well, if they go to 24 teams, all of a sudden then from the Eastern Conference, if you look at it, the 11 and 12 teams in the Eastern Conference are the New York Knicks and the Chicago Bulls. So if they wanted to split it even 12 and 12 from each conference, then they get the markets that a lot of people said, well, they're going to get New York and Chicago in. No, they did. They did it. It was a prudent decision the way they did it because of the four teams that are right beyond Memphis for the eighth seed. And then the hypothetical for the Washington Wizards as well, as slim as that, that opportunity might be. But I do think they did a very good job. I don't want to see one thing with the format. I don't want to see pumped in crowd noise. I <laughs> We can hear the players. We can hear the basketball bounce, the the squeak of the sneakers, like we've all grown up with in gyms. And we can hear some conversation between players. I think it'll be healthy if they let it go that way. I think it'll be right. And everybody's going, well, do you have it on seven-second or a ten-second delay? Because it's right. profanities. I know what you're saying, A.D. But at the same time, I like the natural emotions that we get courtside. And I think it'll be great for the viewers as well. Well, let's get to Antonio Daniels here while we have you, AD. And I was going to talk about, let's talk about just first playing without fans a little bit as a former player being used to playing in front of big crowds. Um, how do you think players are going to deal with this? How long do you think it'll take to get used to knowing that if you're, if you make a big run in the playoffs, you're doing this for three or so months. Well, I think it's going to be different. And I think the thing that we have to understand is the NBA um, come end of July and beginning of August is going to look incredibly different than what we're accustomed to the NBA looking. Um, Joel just mentioned the uh, piped-in crowd noise as a possibility. There will be no home court advantage. There will be games at 1, 3, 4, 7, 10. So it will be more of a summer league style. Um, and I think it will be – it's going to be difficult. Uh, but I can guarantee you that almost every NBA player has been in this position before. You know, a lot of us have grown up playing grassroots basketball, which is AAU basketball. All, every game that you play in grassroots basketball isn't a 
a great game where everybody's coming out to watch. There's some games that I can remember playing, having the first game of the day at nine o'clock in the morning or at eight o'clock in the morning, uh, where the only fans that were there were your parents. So um, it's going to be different because playing in the NBA, this is something you're accustomed to. You're accustomed to seeing 15 or 20,000 uh, people every single night. So it's going to be adjustment. But again, that, that I feel like the NBA got it right because there's no clear-cut competitive advantage for anyone. Everyone has to deal with the same issues here. I'm going to stick with you for one more question, AD, from a former player's perspective as far as getting back to action and players coming back, whether it's for voluntary workouts, then a mini training camp, and then going to Orlando for a couple of weeks to get settled in before you're playing. How is that going to affect these players that haven't – I know a lot of them have touched the basketball, have been shooting, going into their own gyms, but there is a difference between game shape and basketball shape. How do you see, is there any concerns you think of players getting back into basketball shape and getting ready to play basketball in a short amount of time? You know, I've done a lot of different interviews talking about the comparisons between the lockout and this. And to me, there are not very many comparisons because at least when the NBA locked out, when we locked out in 98-99, in you still had access to uh, workout. You could still go and work out. You know, with COVID-19, um, in a different sense, the world is almost shut down. So if you didn't have access to um, weights or kettlebells or treadmills or all the different things that you need to maintain shape, you couldn't go to the local health club. You can't go to Lifetime. You can't go to Anytime Fitness. You can't go to Oshner. You can't go to anywhere and get in shape during this COVID-19 era. So um, there's not a whole lot of comparison. And you would hope that what guys have been doing that haven't had access is almost going the old school route. If that means going outside and running, if that means doing body weight exercises. So that way, when you do start training camp and you do start individual workouts, your body's not shocked back into action. Because when your body's shocked back into action, a lot of times what tends to follow that sometimes, and you don't want to see this, is injury. Let's go to John DeShazer here. We all mentioned home court advantage and how that's basically been eliminated with the bubble city here in Orlando, J.D. So eight regular season games for every team, whether you're battling for seeding or not. How do you think that affects the teams that have already locked up a spot but are really not really worried now about getting the one seed, the two seed, or the three seed based on home court? And how does that affect teams that maybe have had a better home court advantage in recent years than some that may have not had that advantage? Well, first, I got to rewind and respond to AD because, you know, he, he made my workout regimen, and I really appreciate that. I obviously <laughs> watching me, um, you know, getting out there, getting the hard yards in on, on, on the ground. So I appreciate that, AD. Now, now, but when we're talking about, you know, home court advantage and those kinds of things, good teams, I think it doesn't necessarily matter so much to them. But when you're talking about younger teams, and again, I would probably defer to AD on this one because he's played in this arena before. But if you're talking about younger teams, Memphis, New Orleans, those teams ride their crowds for momentum. You put them in a neutral environment, and I think that takes away a lot of any kind of advantage they might have. Now, do they have great players? Yeah, they do. But there's a reason they're fighting for the, the eighth seed, the seventh seed, you know, the, and not the one seed or the two seed. So those teams above them already have that advantage in terms of, I think, personnel and talent. But when you're talking about a younger team and you get them in a playoff atmosphere, I think it would carry them so much more to be in a, in a home arena having their fans because when you make a run, that adrenaline rush you get from the crowd can kind of push you across the finish line sometimes as opposed to, you know, being in a neutral setting and, you know, everything being a little bit docile and it's just you out there against the opposing team. And again, 
you know, that's not saying you don't have talent, but, you know, those teams are probably a little bit more veteran. Uh, they're a little bit more accustomed to playing. And so they might be able to block that out more so than a younger team. Uh, even the Lakers, even though those guys don't have that kind of cohesion, but they've got great veteran players led by LeBron James, who's been in every kind of situation. Uh, same thing with the Clippers. They've been in all kinds of situations. So, you know, I don't necessarily know whether home court or anything like that in that setting, a neutral court, isn't going to hurt them as much as I think it might hurt a younger team. Let's go to Todd Graffinini here talking about the schedule. Todd, we really don't know exactly which teams the Pelicans will play here um, in their eight games. There's been a lot of talk about just taking the first eight games out of this hiatus and sticking with that, but that doesn't necessarily line up with all the teams around the league. Um, Todd, does this hurt or um, help the Pelicans from the sense that they had one of the easiest schedules in the league um, heading into the hiatus, and now a lot of these teams are not going to be in Orlando uh, for this bubble city kind of atmosphere? Well. It depends, Daniel. Again, as you said, we really don't know. Now, there have been speculation of what's going to happen. Is the schedule just going to pick up from where it left off, uh, excluding the teams that were not invited to Orlando? If that's the case, then I think the Pelicans are going to be able to make some headway against the teams that they are directly competing against. And that really was the most disappointing thing when this went down uh, in a basketball sense, because you knew that you were going to play these teams, the Sacramento's, the Memphis's, the San Antonio's. Remember, already played Portland four times, so that's out of the way. So, uh, you know, everyone's waiting with bated breath as to what the schedule is going to be. But if, from what we understand, if we do pick it up from where we left off, then you're going to play Sacramento a couple of times. Uh, you're going to play Memphis. We're going to get really used to playing the Memphis Grizzlies and the Sacramento Kings. But you wouldn't have it any other way because those are the teams you're going up against. So we'll see what happens. You're going to play Utah again. Are you going to play the Clippers as the schedule was going to bear out? That's really the million-dollar question right now. But, you know, to play those teams that you're directly going up against, that – puts everything in your hands. You don't have to worry. You don't have to scoreboard watch. And I'm sure we're going to be doing a lot of scoreboard watching uh, as games are going to be going all day long, every day, uh, which is going to be a whole lot of fun to do. But when you're playing these teams, you don't have to worry about anybody but yourself. Jim, let's go to you here. I know you want to add on the no fancing. I'll let you get to that in a second. But I want to talk about this play in format for the Pelicans. At this point, when you're three and a half games back of the Grizzlies with eight to go, are you necessarily chasing them at the eighth spot? Or is the goal right now when you clumped in with Sacramento, Portland, um, and San Antonio, is the goal to get the ninth spot and just the opportunity to potentially play a Memphis team for that eighth spot and just get into the tournament? I think I would answer that in two ways. I would say I think eight is the goal if you can beat Memphis in both of those head-to-head -head games. I think if you lose either of those games, it's pretty unrealistic to think that you're going to be able to make up the three-and-a-half game deficit in the other six games that are besides the two that you're playing against the Grizzlies. So, I mean, I think if you look at the setup too, the motivation is very clear on, on why you want to be eighth instead of ninth to have the opportunity to play, to have two chances to win one game if you're eighth, whereas if you're ninth, you have to win both of those games. So, I mean, I think, I think going into it, the goal should be eighth, but we might have to adjust that based on, you know, whatever happens along the way. What about the no fans thing? I know you wanted to mention something about that. It's kind of an interesting perspective from a former player 
and everyone else covering it. I don't know if it's going to be like the KBO or the baseball where you're seeing cardboard cutouts of ourselves in the stands, maybe rooting on for our team. We can certainly make that happen and send some stuff to Orlando. But Jim, what do you think that atmosphere is going to be like with just players on the court going at it with no fans? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I've thought about a lot since we've known that there weren't going to be fans at the games is that you always hear people have the expression of it won't be the same without you. And sometimes when you say that, you, you mean it, and sometimes you don't. But I think in this case, we can really clearly say to fans that this isn't going to be the same without them there. But I'm trying to look at it from, from a glass half full standpoint. And I think one of the things personally for me that um, I've noticed covering games as a writer, there's only a few places now that still seat people that have my job courtside, um, like behind the scores table or behind the PA announcer. And that's the best vantage point that you can have of covering a game because you can hear so much on the court. You can hear the players talking to the refs. You can hear players talking to each other. Um, one example from a game last season in Dallas that I thought was so cool to be able to witness, and I feel like every fan would love to have that kind of um, insight, is there was a, a moment where Ja Okafor was checking into the game for Jackson Hayes. Jackson Hayes made it and one, so Ja wasn't going to check in because he had to wait for him to shoot the free throw in the next stoppage. And you could hear Ja say, say like, way to go, Jax. Good job. Keep going at him, Jax. Stuff like that that you can't hear. Um, I think even the you guys, the broadcasters, would say stuff like that you can't hear necessarily because you have headphones on. So I would love for fans to be able to get that vantage point of being able to hear things that you never can hear on the TV broadcast because there's so many, so many people in the arena and there's so much noise going on. And even beyond, I love the encouragement of teammates part of it because I feel like it gives you so much – uh, so, such a good perspective on the interactions between players on the same team. And another thing too, that I thought about was just, um, I feel like the, the average person doesn't talk that much or fan doesn't think that much about defense, but if you can hear them talking on defense, it gives you so much more perspective on some of the, the details and the intricacies of how a team works together on defense. And just in general, I just feel like it gives, it has the potential to give such a such a good um, dimension as far as just learning more about the guys as people and the kind of things that really go on on the court. I, I know Joel mentioned earlier, we, we probably do have to have, be a little bit concerned about the seven second delay part <laughs> of it. But I mean, I, I would love for people to, and this is just me talking, this isn't a TV executive or, or whatever, um, just to have the real um, feel for what actually happens on the court and the discussion between the players and the refs and the players and the coaches and everybody. I think that could be such a, such a great aspect of this that people would really love to be able to, to, to follow and as the games go on. Go ahead, Antonio. That's, that's, that's a simple fix, Jim. That's a really simple fix. Let me throw, throw in fix. something as well after John. Go ahead, yeah, John. Yeah, that's a really simple fix. We just saw the last dance, man. So have the on ESPN and then have the team one on ESPN, too. We can do well that. Done. Yeah. <laughs> well done. I love it. Do, ahead, do, Jim brought up a valid point, and I've noticed it, guys, on every one of our Pelican uh, replays that Fox Sports New Orleans is having, about two or three of them a week, and it's been great to watch, that the guys on the bench are pumped up for their teammates, even though it may cost them minutes. And I would love to hear those words of encouragement. I would love to hear the, the guys celebrating other success plus the encouragement, but when they come over or they're in front of them and they're filling up the, the free throw lane uh, for a couple of shots after a foul, I'd love to hear the instructions. We're a J.J. Redick 
is talking to one of the younger guys, whatever it might be. But it's really healthy what's going on right now with this group. And what Jim just brought up goes back to, I don't want to be an artificial sound, which is what they've been doing. And obviously soccer used it most recently, the Premier League, and they've been talking about it with the other sports coming back. I don't want the artificial sound. I would just, that's the one thing I do want. I want to hear those guys interact. It is healthy what's going on with this franchise in particular, and especially for teammates that aren't even in the game. What about the music during the possession? You, you want to keep that going? I, that's one of my pet peeves, as you know. Guess not. I, you know, I'm an old hockey guy, so I don't need the organist in the background, you know, starting the crowd either. But, no, I don't need artificial sound. You know how I feel about that, Todd. I'm not big. When the ball is in play, I'm not big on chants or sounds coming from the PA system. Antonio, I want to go to you because as a former player as well, there's on the flip side, there's a lot of conversations that go on on the court that maybe shouldn't be privy to our fans. Yeah. So what's your perspective on this? Jim brought a great point because the, the word that I think of when you think of the way the NBA look, it gives fans a different perspective. You know, a lot of times you're on the outside, you have no idea the amount of communication that goes on in timeout. No idea the amount of communication that goes on throughout a possession, let alone three or four possessions up and down the floor. You have no idea of the interaction between player and player or player and official. This, especially if it's done the way we anticipate that it would be done with multiple camera angles and so on and so forth, it will give fans a, a perspective. It will take them in depth to the game like they've never seen it before. Um, and I think that's, that's a fantastic point. But there's a flip side to that as well. Because as we all know, being around professional sports, these are grown men. And a lot of the conversations that are had throughout the course of a game, when you talk about the interaction between um, player and player, or player and opponent, or player and coach, whatever it may be, sometimes it is not the most um, PG-rated <laughs> conversations. So that's obviously something that you have to, to take in mind. We understand that if there are no fans that are at the game, that means these games will be watched by everyone, everyone, all, all ages. So we have to be cognizant of that as well. Um, I agree. It gives the fans a completely different perspective, but there are certain parts throughout the aspect of a 48-minute game that if you can kind of use the beat button, it will definitely be needed. I'm glad you brought up how many people are going to be watching here. We have about 10 minutes to go as my Zoom is telling me we got to get out of here. But 10 minutes to go, you mentioned a lot of fans are going to be watching. How much does this help the game of basketball? Look, we don't know if MLB is going to come back. Um, if they do, there's been a lot of tension between owners and players about getting back. So basketball might be the biggest major sport with hockey coming back and potentially have a lot of day games. How much does this help the, the league? as far as getting those casual fans that may be working from home that get to watch basketball now, just like summer league from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. at night with meaningful basketball games. If anyone wants to chime in, how much does this help the game right now where you're going to get basketball back and maybe grab those casual fans that normally don't have a ton of time to, to watch some of those games at night? I, I think it's – go ahead. Who's up? I think you get two things that I think you just mentioned you get the casual fans because there's not a whole lot of things going on. But two, I think they get to see once this thing gets rolling, I think they get to see the best of the league. Also, um, we're talking about guys hitting the ground on a dead sprint 
from the beginning with eight games left and you're jockeying for position. And then you roll right into the playoffs. So I think you'll get the best of it at the best time with the most eyeballs on it. So I think from that standpoint, it could be optimum for the league. What about you, Todd? I just I think it's phenomenal if, if fans have a chance to watch games all day long. I, I don't know. I, I'm old school. Uh, there is nothing better to me than, than to watch in baseball during the day uh, in the middle of the week. Uh, they used to have World Series games in the daytime. And now you throw that onto the basketball court uh, when you've got meaningful games. Every game is going to mean something. And then you're going to throw playoff games in there. Uh, kind of a March Madness type of uh, a format where you've got multiple games going on at the same time. You got people, you know, flipping channels. I think it's phenomenal. And uh, it, it's only going to help. And especially as you mentioned, Daniel, if MLB doesn't get their act together, uh, that's just even more of an audience that's going to come over and watch NBA games because, quite frankly, people want to watch sports. They are tired of watching things from 20 years ago. They want to watch live sports. And, uh, look, I've watched my share of things from 20 years ago. Don't get me wrong. But nothing beats what's going on right now. Jimmy, you know, and, and by the way, Daniel, everybody says there's no rivalries anymore in sports. Mm -hmm. This really intensified because we don't know what the schedule is going to be. But there's the potential of a couple of games against the Grizzlies, a couple of games against the Spurs division rivals and then all of a sudden so much jd just said at stake with only eight games to play i think that's going to intensify these matchups in subsequent seasons. so i don't think it's i think it's actually really healthy it's a good thing that they're going to have the eight games before and then the potential of a play in if there is a ninth seed within four games from what the speculation has been but it could help I, with I division rivalries i agree with joe 100 percent mm -hmm. Exactly what Joe just said. What I love about, you know, you constantly hear people talking about, um, well, it doesn't matter who makes the eighth seed because they're not going to win a championship anyway. And JD earlier alerted to, alluded to the youth of this team. And it's not about winning a championship. It's about experience. It's about playing meaningful basketball when it counts most. So when you think about these eight games right here, the intensity that comes along with these eight games. Basically, you're playing eight playoff games right now if you're the New Orleans Pelicans. And that's how you have to approach it. There's a different mentality. There's a different preparation that comes along with the NBA come playoff time. So this is beneficial for these young teams. It may not be beneficial for LeBron and the Lakers or Kawhi and the Clippers because they've been here before and they've done this. But you have guys on this roster, on this New Orleans Pelicans roster, that do not have playoff experience. So it may not pay dividends today. It may not pay dividends tomorrow. But a year from now, when we're looking back on these eight-plus games that they played and the experience that they picked up during this time, it will pay dividends in the future. I promise yeah. you that. Yeah, Great thank point. you. I, yeah, we, and also remember, Brandon Ingram at 22, as AD points out, look at all the guys around Brandon Ingram at that age, between 19 and 22. There's more than a half dozen of those guys that are going to get reps now in meaningful games. Eight games that they're going to be together in, a, in an atmosphere like that, in a bubble, together, bonding together, experiences like that. I, this is sensational for the Pelicans, these next eight games, to have those reps. And also, for whether it's Brandon Ingram, 
Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, good on the list of all the young guys on this team. Frank Jackson, Jackson Hayes, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. To be in that situation, that's the ultimate. That is really, really good for this team. And, guys, this is what we were talking about back even in mid-February when the Pelicans were really starting to get their act together. Where are we going to play meaningful games down the stretch? Now we've got the opportunity, and let's see if they can take advantage of it. Jim? Yeah, I was just going to add quickly. I see the time running down at 4.32 right now, so I'll make this brief. <laughs> I was just going to add to Todd's uh, point that, I mean, if I think baseball, I don't want to get too much into other sports business, but I feel like baseball is missing a big opportunity if they don't play because if you put a Reds-Rays game on right now, a half hour from now, I'd be watching that thing. No offense to any fans of those teams, but um, put, I think you put any baseball game on right now at this point, and, and I would watch it. So, I mean, I just I feel like people's uh, desire to watch sports, as he mentioned, is just at a at an all-time high. Well, there goes our Tampa Bay listeners, so I appreciate that, Jim. And uh, next time, maybe we can all – I apologize. Maybe we can There's all chip in and get – Maybe we can all chip in and get Zoom Pro. That way we can have this discussion for more than 45 minutes as the clock is running down here. Guys, I really appreciate it. It's nice to talk about some basketball on the horizon come late July. I'm sure we'll have more of these conversations as players get back and we know a schedule. And uh, we'll see how it all plays out. John DeShazer, Todd Graffinini, Jim Eichenhofer, Antonio Daniels, and Joel Myers. Guys, I appreciate the time. Thank you all for listening to today's podcast presented by SeatGeek. And we'll talk to you all next week.